Blog Talk Radio. We'd love to have you call in and be a part of it, too. We'd love to get your opinions on that. 
So again, call in at 646-595-2118 and um, be a part of our panel. Oh, we'd love to see you. Love to hear you. I mean, <laughs> I guess we will see you. We just see, hear you. Well, hello, Dr. Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, eh? You meant what you said. We would love to see you, but for right now, we are okay with the fact that at least we can hear you. And um, just like you mentioned earlier, um, everyone's voice is so important and so necessary right now, especially sharing in that area of how child abuse affects us as adults, you know, because a lot of us are going through things today as adults. And many of us feel alone, you know. We're like, okay, am I going crazy? Is this, you know, is something wrong with me? Am I a failure? You know, but then when we talk with each other, when we start to share, we start to see that comparison, like, wow, so that is normal. Wow, that can happen. Wow, that is, you know, we ed we're becoming more educated and more aware. And so that allows us to have this community of support and know that we're not alone in our recovery process. And I think that's so important right now, especially as um, we've lost so many people to suicide. And, um, again, the more, we, the more we share, the more we educate ourselves, the better we are and the stronger we are as a community. And the more we're able to help our fellow survivors of abuse. So I am looking to really get into this topic tonight. Thank you for, uh, for having me tonight. And let me see who that is on the other line. I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Bill on the line as well. Hey, Bill. I did not hear the topic. Are you there? So, you know, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we were talking about just um, talking how we are as adults, What how the effects of child abuse have affected us as adults and what that kind of looks like, I guess, going to talk about. Mm -hmm. You going to join in talk about, with us tonight? Huh? Are you going to join in tonight with us? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, are you going to join in with us tonight? Who's going to be on? Yeah, I am, but I again, I don't. Oh, okay. are you talking to somebody else? No, I was talking to you. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the topic. Could you just say it very simply for me? <laughs> just how we've been affected as adults from child abuse. Okay. So how that has affected us as adults. Well, yeah. there's a whole how bunch of them. That's fine for a topic, oh, yeah. and I appreciate it being brought up. Thank you. <laughs> Does that sound okay? Is there something else you wanted to you were thinking no. about? No, no, I, did, I, did, I didn't bring talked. a topic, and that's perfectly fine. Oh, Okay. And I've been at the park with my grandkids all day, and I just got home, and so I didn't even see that message until I was already on the line here and getting ready. And then I pulled up Facebook, and I went, oh, we're not having a guest tonight. So that's always good. But we have Bob on the line with us as well. So that's – welcome, Bob. <laughs> Hello, Glad you're here. family. How are you? Good day. Good day. Good day, mate. <laughs> and I, Mike. Yeah, so what were you yeah. So we've got Dr. Yeah, Nancy and Bill Yeah, and, and Kim on the phone So we're glad you're here 
So we were going to talk about, um, you know, long-term effects of childhood abuse, basically, and and what that looks like maybe with us and how it's affected us in, in our adults. Well, would you like me to? Yeah, would you like me to kick off the discussion? I just made some notes. Sure. No, (laughs) go ahead. We always. Well, for me, (laughs) for me, the I don't have an opinion. I just share my life experience. Um, But for me, um, the effects of my childhood uh, abuse. uh, One was that it set me up for addictive behaviours because of the childhood abuse, I'd internalized the message that I was unworthy. And so um, as that translated into adulthood, it was like I had this inner message that I, I didn't deserve to live. And so all the addictions that I went through are just um, subliminal ways of killing myself, like every substance, especially antidepressants, you know. Um, they were slowly killing me. So um, by healing the wounds of my childhood, I managed to um, eradicate that that one. And the other thing that my childhood abuse led to was um, my um, major dance with depression because um, one of the results of the, my abuse as a child was I'd lost the belief in myself. And and so I believed that other people uh, knew better for me how to live my life. And so that that was the cause of my, really the cause of my uh, long dance with depression. And it wasn't until I reclaimed my belief in me, because for me, um, we're all unique, you know, and um, we're all so sovereign, unique and equal. and. I, that ergo, it follows that I am the only expert on my life. And so it was reclaiming that belief in me, um, again, by um, going back and healing the, this childhood wound. I was able to eradicate that. But um, you know, it was it was doing that work that really brought me to where I am today. And today, I just the best way I can say it is that I am that I am, and I am content. My life is absolutely blissful, and I think I paid paid the, the right price for it. You know, that twenty years of torture. <laughs> well, that's about all. Yeah, I'm now. Really good. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for opening up about that because. No, guys. No, what I was just going to say was, uh, okay, what I was going to say was just that pretty much that's what what we were just, what I was just sharing that, you know, I know for a fact that the abuse that I went through, it had effects on me. I have trust issues and a lot of other things, you know, that I still work through every single day. But as long as we're willing to put forth that work, that's how we're going to come out winning on the other side. And as long as we keep talking about it and educating others as they continue to get up and try to walk in their recovery. I wanted to um, to share um, something, uh, emotional concerns associated with childhood trauma. Um, they include anger and aggression, anxiety, lack of trust, which I just said, low self-esteem, OK, 
Okay. Changes in appetite, development of new fears, increased thoughts about safety or death, loss of interest in otherwise fun activities, self-destructive behavior, and suicidal ideations. I, I think I probably dealt with all of those. Um, and those those things are associated with childhood trauma. So even if, and I'm not saying that people cannot be set free from these things, but we do have to understand that if we come across someone who's experiencing a couple of these symptoms and you sit down with them, many times you'll learn that they had some type of childhood trauma, okay? And everybody's trauma is different, but um, these are some of the side effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I was just thinking, and I was writing down a few things, too, for when you were talking about some of the symptoms or whatever, that um, we have that as adults, and I definitely have the unworthy and I've got depression. I don't, personally, I don't think I've ever felt suicidal, but I definitely wanted to just run away. You know, I I don't know, I guess I always just, it, it was, that just wasn't in my mind, and so that was good, and I'm sorry have those thoughts and even try that. It's sad to feel to feel that alone, and um, I'm just. I'm sorry you had to go through that fancy too. And thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and definitely I deal with low self-esteem. I think that. I'm dealing a lot with that one now, even this time frame in my life. And I think what I I can gather in kind of depression and, and um, maybe acting out a little bit. <laughs> I sound like a child when I when I say that, but I mean I from people living more, and I and I I under I understand that I don't take things from people as well as I used to, and I don't. There could be times that that is not maybe appropriate, and I've been told that, you know, so I keep working on that as well. And um, I know that if I'm having some conflict with my children, especially my daughters, it seems to to be that um, I get very emotional. And one of my daughters has voiced her opinion on how she doesn't like that. And so I I didn't realize that I was getting more emotional than maybe I should, but I guess that's, you know, and I think a lot of that also comes from the not feeling hurt. That's the other thing that I, I think I've dealt with. And I, you know, not only in my childhood, but into my adulthood as well, is just not feeling hurt. And um, I I think that for me, I stuffed a lot of stuff down and tried to be the, and I've talked about this before, yeah, I've tried to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom, and I, you know, that was my goal going into my adulthood, and um, and then I think I hit my 50s, and I was like, well, now it's time for me, and it's, and I think that my family also has been a hard time with that, 
So along with the, you know, negative things, but I, you know, my low self-esteem and depression and not feeling worthy and stuff, that comes out in other ways, I guess, is what I, I was saying. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyone else want to share that? I wanted to respond to what you said. I'm sorry that you yeah. are feeling like that. You know, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I can definitely relate and understand. Number one, people have to understand that we are uh, going through different hormonal changes on top of everything else. So okay, things are actually yeah. changing hormonally, period. Okay, just know that. And um, and on top of that, and this is for men and women, when you're when you've been abused and disrespected and not heard, when you get to a certain point in your life and you've already lived like two, three lives, you just like tired. And you start to learn at some point to put yourself first and to work on your own, on making yourself happy. And nobody else is going to focus on making you happy and you have to make yourself happy. And it's your responsibility for your own happiness. And then the more you're going to these empowerment sessions or listening to these motivational videos, you're educating yourself about the importance of loving yourself and pouring back into yourself, especially when you volunteer and or you do advocacy for the community and you open up your story so many times for other people. You start to think and, and you start to learn about the importance of taking care of self. That's a hard skill for some people to swallow when they're used to you being the giver of your time, the giver of your space, and the giver of your love to everyone else. But in this season, we, as we're, you know, we're getting older, we have to really, really focus on our health and make that time for ourselves to say, I love me. And we shouldn't feel guilty about that. But some of that emotional stuff, when you get older, some people get grumpy, some people go through their hormonal change. I know I am. And sometimes I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood. Sometimes I'm like, you yeah. know what? I'm sensitive today. I'm in a sensitive space today. <laughs> you know, I'll just stay home. Let me stay away. But then, like I said, my tolerance for abuse was so high that at this point now, I just don't want to be bothered with abusive people. It's like kind of very, it's kind of low. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't have to put up with it. Yeah. I'll let you yeah. talk. Can I respond? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, some, some lovely um, little statements there. Um, first one I'd like to tackle is anger. Um, I wasn't allowed anger as a kid. Mum had all the anger. She was the volcano. Um, you know, she just used to erupt and explode. So, and so I got hit whether I was being good or bad, which is, you know, really, <laughs> really crazy making. Um, and so how I dealt with anger in my adult life before I did the healing was um, if something made me angry, I'd swallow it and keep a happy little pleasant look on my face, you know. And I'd swallow it and then swallow the next event and I'd swallow the next event and put them in in this internal pressure cooker until such time as the pressure grew too great and then some poor person would say something slightly innocuous and they get about 18 months of this swallowed anger dumped on them you know 
I exploded and that's how I operate I got rid of my anger but now um, where I'm at is uh, feelings are healings I express my feelings in the mo in the moment in an appropriate way you know like if somebody does something that kind of makes me angry I say whoa whoa you know when when you say that when you do that it really makes me angry um, you know, if you continue to do that, then I'm going to have to move away. Or could you rephrase your statement in a, you know, in a non-judgmental way? But it, it's for me, it's vitally important to express the moment, express the feelings that I'm experiencing, and get them out in the moment. And if it's something like, um, you know, government injustice or something, you know. Or, or something that I can't do anything about, but I've still got this anger. I'll go into a forest and scream at a tree, or or dive in the ocean and scream underwater. But it's getting that getting that feeling out because I reckon the feelings that you swallow today will someday come back and choke you. And my whole path of recovery has been about feeling getting in touch with my feelings and expressing my feelings and they're nothing to be afraid of you know the feelings are emotions emotion energy in motion so that energy needs to come out otherwise it's just boiling inside me anyway that's um, that's my take on anger and also self-love yeah self-love um there's this seems to be this thing, you know, if you put yourself first, you're a narcissist or something. But for me, uh, my number one job is my own well-being. And the way I rationalize that is, well, if you haven't healed yourself, how can you heal anybody else? If you do not love yourself, how can you really love anybody else? And I like that yeah. scenario of you're in the aircraft at 30,000 feet and it goes into a storm, you know, and it's getting scary and the oxygen masks come down. And what do you do? You put your oxygen mask on first because if you don't, you'll die and you can't help anybody else. So that's the analogy I like to use. Just just to say that putting oneself first is is absolutely essential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask a question? Why do we feel guilty? And this is for anybody. Why do we feel guilty putting ourselves first? Because, I mean, I used to feel... Like, I just was so used to helping other people. That's part of my therapy is helping others and volunteering, helping, things like that. But what do we, why do some people feel guilty putting themselves first? Why is that a bad thing? Or why does it well, come off as being it's bad? Not bad it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, right. It comes back down to the society we live in, and it's societal programming, you know, um, I've been mm-hmm. called so many times. Oh, you, you selfish bugger, you know. Oh, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> Who is it? Was it Bill? Somebody oh. on there. Oh, I got rid of it. No, it wasn't me. I heard it was it. me. No, it wasn't Bill. <laughs> oh, I, fess up. I, I wonder if it was me. I don't know. I don't know. No, it Bob says it was him. Sorry. I thought I heard some. Was there? Yeah, some different 
somebody talking else somebody else talking in the background. I don't know. But um no, go uh, ahead. Are you... track. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Bob. If you want to Yeah, so to finish saying um, something? Yeah. Um putting putting yourself putting your own putting my own well being as my number one priority. Now, um how can I put it? Well, I've got so much more to give. I've recently started a support group in the in the region, and it's 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 a joy to behold. Um, um, it's called Real Mates Talk, and it's just um, every Wednesday at ten o'clock. I'm down the park with a co-host, and I've advertised all over the place, and slowly more and more people are coming along. And it's a safe place for people to be real, you know, not to, not 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 get the typical response. Hey, going, mate. Oh, oh, I'm good. So everything's good. When you when I can see the tears in their eyes, you know, it, I've created a, a safe space for people to to share. And even if they just sit there and cry for half an hour, the healing they've gone through just by doing that and having you know, having it witnessed. That is so powerful, so powerful, because you can sit and cry alone at home, and if you're not careful, you just end up rehearsing your distress and sitting in that or me pity me thing. But the witnessed expression of that pain, I've found, is very, very healing, very, very powerful. That's all I'll say on that. Coffee, anyone? (laughs) Yep, coffee. Uh, yeah, I think that that's so important. Um, I wanted to read something. People who experience childhood trauma are at a higher risk of developing heart disease, diabetes, cancer, stroke, obesity, and addiction. You know, you said something, Bob, that was really, really important um, about emotions and addressing uh, some of these feelings and really getting them out, you know. And emotions are feelings pretty much that are emotion inside of your body that need to come out. And so a lot of times when you've been through severe trauma, it's important to get help. It's important to talk about it. It's important to get support. Or, like Bob said, I mean, I thought that was pretty cool, even go underwater and scream, 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 scream. And nobody will hear you yeah. screaming. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty cool. But when we hold on to those bad feelings on the inside of us, when we hold on to those bad emotions on the inside of us, they manifest in our body as disease. They manifest as illness. And and we get sick and it comes out, you know, like the book, the the body keeps the score, right? A lot of times, the trauma has such a, such a severe impact on our lives that it starts to manifest through our bodies. So have you guys heard that, that a lot of stress can cause cancer, trauma, things like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so credible, isn't it? You know, if you're holding all that distressful energy inside you, it's not constructive, it's destructive. It's damaging your body, and your body knows what it needs to do. So it's telling you, 
everything. I listen to my body because it, you know, it's much smarter than me. But it's always giving me messages. And for the disease, the states of disease that I went through, my body was always giving me a message. And the, the biggest message was um, my first panic attack in 1984. My, my body had got so tired of trying to wake me up it gave me that big slap and the result of that slap was me going through all that crap and coming out the other side but realizing what my body was telling me bob you're not robert the robot stop living your programming stop living what you've learned or you've been indoctrinated into and find your truth and live it and so that was the journey i on from then to live, find my own truth and live it. And I'm just a simple bloke, and, you know, if I can do it, anybody can. But as you said, <laughs> you've got to do the work. You've got to do the work. And feelings are nothing to be afraid of. Feelings are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. You know, growing up, a lot of times we're taught, and sometimes, okay, a lot of times we're taught, that it's not okay to show emotion. It's not okay to show your feelings. And I think that that happens. Um, a lot of times I hear that from men. I hear men saying that growing up they were taught that it was not manly enough. They were not manly enough if they showed their feelings. And they were taught to keep the feelings in the inside, which is unfair. I think it's horrible. That's um, why 75% of all suicides yeah. are men. Hey, yeah, yeah. Don't show your feelings, man. Well, that's bullshit. Horrible. I love hearing yeah. that from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. That. So here that says an estimated ninety percent of adults in the United States have experienced a traumatic event at least once in their lifetime. Okay, and trauma for everyone is different. You know. Um, and it says here, approximately 7 to 8% of all adults, one in 13 people in this country, will develop PTSD during their lifetime. And those numbers are yeah, pretty high, about 90%. Yeah. And then it says here, 8 million people have post-traumatic stress disorder at any given time. So pretty much... Eight million people. I mean, I just, I mean, I know we have a lot of people um, in the world, but just the, the effects, like I was reading about the effects of trauma. And, again, you know, we talked about depression. We talked about anxiety. Uh, we, um, okay. And then we are, I'm going to just mention, um, primary stress hormone increases sugar in the bloodstream, enhances your brain's use of glucose, and increases the ability of substances that repair tissue. So trauma, you know, it also can cause heart disease, depression. But it's a lot. So this is a manifestation of the pain and the hurt showing out, showing up through the body. Bill, you have any? Well, I have a bunch of things that I could say. Um, oh, yeah. Essentially, you know, I thought the topic was co- things that are caused by childhood trauma that show up in our adulthood. Is that right? 
Yeah, they show up as adults. Like, let's say we yeah. went through childhood trauma, and then now right. as adults, we're dealing with with uh, some of these symptoms or different, you know, emotional or relationship issues. So we just okay. have to just to the health yeah. one, but I mean, it's open. I just first of all, I I did change the description of the show, so anybody that comes by now is or earlier even because it was on the website since 3.30 or something. But I changed it in here, too. If you want to see that, you can just refresh the page. But um, to answer the uh, topic question, um, just one one way to answer it, um, I don't, I, um, I don't think it's okay for me to um, focus on myself first. Is that, the, is that what he said? No. Is that what you guys said? Not focus on. Take care of? Yeah, because if I yeah. if I have to take care of myself, I'm going to wait years to take care of anybody else. I don't think that's the that's how we do it. I think we start to help people when we have an inkling of what's going on. We should start to help people and not wait till we're healed. Certainly, uh, I, and I um, and I know that healing takes a long time. It's not a, something you can do very quickly. The, the oxygen mask doesn't drop down in terms of trauma, and you stick it over your face. You know, uh, but what does happen is you um, you hear other people telling the story, and you you can identify with the fact that you're not alone. That's one of the big things. First of all, you're not alone. That there are other people who have felt this way before, which is shocking to a lot of us. What? Other people have had these things happen to them and feel this way because <laughs> you can't see what's on somebody's, you know, inside, as they say. Uh, when they're expressing on the outside that they're calm, I'm okay, you know, how you doing? Fine. You know, that's what we do. Um, so I think what, what I've, I've tried to do is um, is to calm down. Frankly, I think, um, you know, shouting and jumping around and all that is that's keeping the that's keeping the behavior going. Uh, And what I want to do is be a kinder person, a more tolerant person, a more patient person, you know, and a more loving person. And those things don't match with um, me being angry. But angry is what I am. That is what you are, what I am. And it's it's one of the uh, big results of being traumatized that we express almost everything in, in terms of anger or fear, one or the other. And, you know, you might call it um, something else, but if you look at it really carefully, it's it's a fear of this or an angry, or I'm angry about that. Uh, and, you know, you can't instantly stop those things. Um, but what you can do is you can pray about them. And you can let them go, praying about them as best you can, and give them over to your higher power. That's what I do. You know, that's what I I, I recommend. Not, uh, you know, not being um, more angry and expressing it physically or whatever or, you know, verbally. In fact, um, the – I lost that thought. Sorry. 
Um, <laughs> I do that all the time, though. <laughs> I lost the thought. I'm just, I'm that's, in the middle of a sentence and it goes away. Jeez. <laughs> I think that's part of it, too, though. I think there is. Yeah, memory. I've heard that, that does. That your memory, yeah. Your memory is. Yeah, no, no, there is. There is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, and of course, now that I'm older, I, I really recognize loss of memory. <laughs> yep, me too. Right. My Lord, help me. It's like it used to go away and then come back, and now it just goes away. It doesn't come back. Yeah, yeah it doesn't come it doesn't back. back. It does not come back. That's why you got to write gone. stuff down. Now you got to write stuff down. I have so to. When it goes away, you can yes. look around and find a piece of paper that says it. That says it. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is I think I'm supposed to soften Not get harder or tougher I'm supposed to allow Allow, allow, allow everybody And I'm supposed to forgive myself Frankly, you know Because this is what I've been taught and experienced It doesn't have to be that way But I fall back on it Because it's what I've been taught I, I believe mm-hmm. that the better way to be Is, as I say, the the kinder, softer way, but, um, you know, it's going to take a while till I can get there. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in prayer. It's worked for me all kinds of times. Um, and, but it has to do with letting go again. That's, that's an indication that you want to be softer when you let go. In other words, the fear and the anger express themselves in, in your attempt to be in charge, to take over, to fix stuff. You know, and um, I don't think that's a healthy place to be, you know, especially if it's done out of that anger or out of that frustration. I think it's, I think it's better to allow yourself to have um, the experience without trying to fix it, but to let, you have it, let yourself have it and, and, and try not to, uh, you know, damage anybody else. <laughs> that's not okay. Um, or yourself. I mean, you got to let yourself have a break, too. Uh, I don't know. That's enough for me. I talked quite a bit there. I'm sorry, Nancy. But, uh, you know, these are things. Oh, that no, I think. you're good. <laughs> okay. Hey, Bill. Yeah. Bill, I'd yeah. just like to say um, I, I agree with you, um, especially about, um, you know, the absolute, if you can't heal anybody until you heal, healed yourself, uh, my example was in the right in the middle of my depression, the 20-year um, battle that became a dance. That was when I first started running my own support groups in Fremantle. So um, I was awake enough to r- realise the pain I was going through, and that other people uh, were probably feeling the same pain. And it was the pain I was feeling that drove me to start the support groups. And, yeah, and it's magnificent. So it wasn't like, you know, I can't heal anybody until I'm totally healed myself because, for me, the healing journey, it's it's a journey, not a destination. You know, it's infinite. I could, there's there's always, there's always more growing I can do. And, and yeah, and now, with the the group I've got going now, um, it's it's actually blissful and calm and I'm very rarely angry now very very rarely angry Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I'm happy 
Sometimes I'm sad, but I'm always content because I am at peace with me. Yeah. Yeah, so good on you, Bill. That's good. Kim, can I say something? Um, can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, I was just, I wanted to read something. Um, so some of the impacts of childhood trauma um, are unseen wounds, and they were here talking about uh, sleep disorder, and that's something that I, I maybe I still deal with. Uh, it says here, insomnia, nightmares, or other sleep disorders may be more common in adults who experience that stuff, right? I get up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., I'm up, I'm up, <laughs> and sometimes I'll go back to sleep from like 6 to 7.30 or 8, and then I'm up, so my schedule is just very my husband's like, you're like a baby. You have a weird baby schedule. I go to bed. I may fall asleep at 10. I may fall asleep at 11, 12. Then I'm up at 3.30. It's weird. So um, that's something that I've noticed um, people deal with. I used to wake up in cold sweat from nightmares, from um, having flashbacks. And so uh, here is also talking about um, some of that. But um Low self-esteem, it can leave adults with feelings of worthlessness or inadequacy, which Bob shared that, you know, some of that as well earlier. Like you feel like, you know, you're not good enough or you don't deserve all the goodness that you deserve. You you go through those weird, those phases, right? Uh, Physical health problems, we talked about the autoimmune disease and um, other uh, heart disease and diabetes and all of that, emotional regulation. Adults may have difficulty regulating emotions, leading to emotional outbursts. I've no, I've known people who like with these crazy fits, and I'm like, it's like the person switches into somebody else, and I'm like, wow, you know. And I remember some of the stories of the abuse he went through when he was younger. Um, disassociation. Some may experience periods of disassociation, feeling disconnected from themselves, or the world around them, substance abuse. Individuals may use drugs or alcohol as a coping mechanism to deal with the unresolved issues. Difficulty forming relationships. I still struggle with this, y'all. Adults with a history with a history of trauma may struggle to establish and maintain healthy relationships due to having trust issues and fear of being hurt. I always have the fear of being hurt, and I think it's a protective mechanism. And then, again, the post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, you know, children who have had, who, who went through traumatic experiences, they may have reoccurring nightmares and flashbacks or feel like they're in constant state of danger. You don't feel safe. Um, and, again, they talk about depression and anxiety. Uh, you know, all of those things are part of some of the things that adult survivors of abuse still have to fight through and try to un- un- uncover. So working on recovery is definitely important, really important. Yeah. And sharing that. And I think there's a lot of times that um, as survivors, we, we don't even think about it because, and I know that I was just, although I've been to therapy here off and on, but um, when I was raising my kids, for instance, it was pretty much all about the kids. I wasn't thinking about my recovery as much unless something came up and then I would go, I'd go see another counselor or something, but um, 
it wasn't ever about me ever. You know, I was raising my kids and, and I had, well, I had those expectations. And so that's probably another thing too, is the expectations that you have as a parent who mm. come from abuse. If you, um, if you choose to try and change that trajectory, you know, then, um, Mm-hmm. There was something else I was gonna. Uh, yeah, I was. I was just looking at something that was talking about aces too, and we talked about aces. I think before. I don't know if I talked with you about that, Doctor Nancy, but um. Mm-hmm. But there's like four. I think we have. But there's four main categories of aces of aces, and um, it's mm-hmm. abuse, neglect, household challenges, and community incidents. So. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the abuse, and we kind of talk a little bit about the neglect quite a bit, too. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not being phys- either being physically or emotionally neglected. And um, that could look so, you know, it's different for everybody and, and how they are neglected. I know that I remember being home alone a lot with my baby brother. He was a baby. He still had diapers. And um, I kind of remember that. But um, the household challenges, I think, is what's interesting because I think that we can try and, you know, say, no, that's not a trauma. You know, for instance, parents divorcing, of course. That's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. huge for kids. And, and we kind of know that. But I think for a long time it was a, oh, it's just the way it is. Or, you know, if they're being separated. And then, of course, the death. Or abandonment. Um, so those aren't, you know, really abuse things, but they are can play a part in traumatic. Yeah, they could be traumatic for the child, and so it can affect how they mm-hmm. are, are raised and how they think about certain things. And I've also heard that um, a lot of times uh, abuse abusers will just kind of stop at a certain like they're. Um, Emotional responses or something will kind of stop at a certain age. So maybe, you know, somebody would throw a a little bit more of a fit as a five-year-old or a four-year-old would do. And um, But as an adult, that's really going to look silly, you know, if you're throwing yourself on the ground. Now, I did do that one time when I was frustrated. I want to throw myself around. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) It's a kitchen. (laughs) I just just laid on the ground and I started yelling and everybody just looked at me like, you're crazy. And it broke up the whole tension that was going on in the the house. And luckily I was in a good enough mood that I did that. (laughs) Or it could have gone different, you know. But um, because I was just playing, and that's what I wanted to do. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there are people that you do you see adults that throw like major temper tantrums, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you yeah. know where, <laughs> where does that come from? Um, you know, and then have if you, somebody in your family has like a serious illness or an accident or something that's very traumatic, or the, even the death of a pet. And um, mm-hmm. I I know that even though I wasn't as good a, about talking to my kids about um, my abuse and maybe some of the dangers that were out in the world, 
I did talk a lot about grief and because we did have a lot of grief in our family and because my mom died when they were pretty young, my two youngest at least, my oldest knew her until she was 17. But um, so I was, I was doing that work as well. I was, you know, doing work with, with grief. I was facilitating classes for grief kids. And so even though I think at the time that my mom died and I was right in the middle of the grief um, facilitating work that I was doing, there were times I know I didn't handle it as well because I was in the middle of that grief and trauma that was happening. Um, and, of course, there's, there was a lot of regrets, too. And I, One of my biggest, you know, regrets are that I just didn't feel like I had the time to get to know my mom as a, a Christian. She had just become a Christian. And so we never got to kind of live that walk together and, um, you know, got those things for a reason. And of course it was great that she had that time, you know, and that she did come back to the Lord and, and stuff. But um, it, it still always speaks. It doesn't matter how old you are when your mom dies. <laughs> But um, And then the mm-hmm. other thing that they talk about that can be um, an, an abuse or part of what the ACEs are characterized as is um, community incidents. So things that happen within the community that impact a child, like natural disasters or terrorism, community violence, school violence, or social rejection. And, I mean, we could talk all about the school violence things, but, oh, my gosh, maybe we shouldn't. But that just, it drives me crazy that my grandkids, you know, have to do school shooting drills. And um, that that's the state that we live in these days. I thought it was scary enough. And, you know, probably all of us on this phone either did um, tornado drills or hurricane drills or wherever you're, you live at. But, um you know, it, it wasn't even thought of to, to do that stuff. So those are some of the, the <laughs> you know, main things, of the main categories of ACEs and, and how you can be traumatized. Oh, I'm sorry. What? what are you saying, Kim? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Bill. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, we don't do enough prevention stuff in terms of child abuse. You know, we, we um, yeah, we do, we do fire drills and so forth, but we don't do prevention drills. And this is the topic we're on. So, you know, it's one of the things that, that um, stops us from moving into adulthood in a more healthy way or even into adolescence in a more healthy way. Because we're not um, we're not on guard. We're not watching for it. We don't know how to deal with it if it happens. We don't know that you know uh, cer- certain people are trustworthy with the story and actually will help you with if this, something happens, you know, to you if somebody approaches you and so forth. We're not taught this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really important to do that for people, because, you know, because you know we have fire drills because there might be a fire, you know, so, and whatever mm-hmm. it is that. Uh, in our lives, there, we we should have prevention drills or prevention classes at least, because it's, it's much more likely that a kid will have prevent will have 
uh, be approached for child abuse reasons than it is for them to have a fire. Much more uh, uh, reasonable. And when that happens, you know, that's trauma that doesn't go away just because you want it to. It doesn't go away with pills. It really doesn't go away with talking, Mm -hmm. although that's a good way to at least moderate it. You have to make decisions based on what you're learning that you're going to take your own action. And if you take your own action, then you start to heal, I think. You know, you, you, there's there's no uh, elixir or anything <laughs> that can give you um, – there's no ward in the hospital where they where they place you, uh, you know, regularly uh, if you're a child abuse victim and so forth. There, <laughs> You know, uh, there is – if you have a burn – if you have burns, there's a burn ward, you know, but not there's not a child abuse ward. Uh, that's why I, I actually really love the CACs, the Child Advocacy Centers. Uh, they are fantastic, you know, facilities that um, that actually do have some of that. They have, you know, everything that they're going to. If, if you heard the show on Wernina's house or um, Deirdre's house, what was that coming up this week? Mm-hmm. Be this week. Um, they're, a, they're, they're a child advocacy center where. Everything's under one roof, and it's all child-friendly, and it's designed so that it doesn't freak out the kid either. So they have, like, uh, they have law enforcement. They have uh, therapy. They have uh, nursing stations and nursing facilities. Um, they have um, playrooms that you can, uh, if it's a small child, you can ask them to act out what happened to them so you don't have to freak them out by, you know, <laughs> by using adult language or whatever. You can just, you know, use dolls and so forth. Anyway, there's – and also you can prepare for uh, for, for court um, or you, you may not have to go to court if they'll – if the state allows you to put it on videotape, or a, you know, a confession, not a confession, a testimony on videotape, which is happening more and more. This is fantastic, but it's not common. It, it, it should be. I mean, there are there are um, several, um, many hundreds now around around the country. But you know how many uh, counties there are in this country. We should have one in every county, frankly. You know, um, because that's where we. Need, that's the need. That's how big it is. That's how big it is. So, yeah, I don't. Um, I'm glad you said that. Sure, sure. I'm glad you said that because, like you said that. Uh, we need to have these drills, you know, and we need to talk about also how to help prevent it. Um, you know, so I, one of the things that I had up that I wanted to mention was, you know, what do you say to a child that comes to you and says, hey, I've been abused, hey, I'm going through this, hey, I'm going through that? Um, and one of the things that they mentioned was, um, you know, just showing that you understand a child, showing that you believe what they're saying. Because a lot of times when, you know, kids tell a loved one or someone that they trust something that they're going through and the parent or the adult shows that they don't believe them, the child tends to shut down. So make sure that we assure them that what they did was right, that them telling what was going on was a good choice um, and not to, you know, for them not to feel guilty about telling the secret, guilty of revealing the secret. Um, you know, that just reminded me of me because I had to tell the secret and I felt so guilty. I felt like I betrayed him 
And I felt so bad, right? But um, that's one of the things that we want to do. Uh, we want to tell the child that they're not to be blamed. It was not their fault. Um, and, again, just, you know, thank them for their honesty and for, for telling us what, what they shared with us, providing that safe space. And then, you know, the most, one of the, the last things that they mentioned that was also very important was to offer the child protection, okay? Promise them that you're going to take the steps the abuse stops. Now, we're not able to tell them, you know, like a lot of times the kids, sometimes the kids will be like, oh, um, are they going to take me away from my family? Are they going to take me away from my parents? They say it's not good to lie to the kids because we don't know what's going to happen next. But what we do know is that the abuse is going to stop. It's, it's going to stop, you know, because as first responders, I mean, as first responders, as mandated reporters, we have to now, you know, we've been trained on how to get them the help that they need and what the next steps are for that child to get the help and support that they need. Um, and if you don't know who, you know, what the next step is, reach out to a teacher, reach out to a school, reach out to a counselor, and they will they will let you know what the next steps are to get that child some help. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, prevention includes, um, you know, uh, when a child is quite small and they're learning anything, talking about this stuff. You know, so that they don't have to wait till later to learn it or not learn it at all, and then it happens to them, which that's what happened to me. <laughs> but if you keep, if you teach them ahead of time, then and they know ahead of time that should something happen, um, they can come to you, they can come to certain other people, and so forth, without fear mm-hmm. of reprisal. And you'll you'll you already know that it won't be their fault, you know that kind of stuff. But that's all part of prevention too, I think. And then. You know, we have to we have to prove that we're going to be behind them. That's inter, the the beginning of intervention when they come to us and they tell us something's happened. And intervention is really important too. How we take care of them and how we hear their story and how we act on it. We shouldn't get you know overexcited and throw stuff around. In fact, when it, when a child has something like that, they start to tell us we we ought to get down on their level, right? Um, which can be, you know, pretty low to the ground and, you know, and, and be sincere about, you know, that they should, you know, feel free to tell, tell me what they've gone through and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I just think this is such an important thing. We don't talk about it enough, inter- prevention and intervention, but it's two-thirds of what uh, we, you know, we can cover here at NASCA to make sure that, you know, we, along with recovery, which we do talk about, to make sure that people understand there's more to it than just, you know, getting fixed later. There's also not being attacked and, and how it's, how it's uh, dealt with. If you are, I don't, um, I don't know. I think, um, I think I should stop talking. (laughs) No, you're fine. (laughs) We don't mind you talking. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah, I know we like to, we like to talk. And um Don't be sorry. You know, also there's like seventy per, you know, seventy percent of children are sexually abused by a peer. So it's it's another child. And we've talked about this that um 
you know, a lot of times it's that child who's acting out in a way that things were done to them. And so they'll find somebody smaller to do that to and, you know, not not even probably taking into consideration as a child because they can't really process, I think, um, the thoughts of abuse. They're, they just know that that's what was done to them and they're going to do it to somebody else. So that's kind of scary, too. And, that, and that's something that um, a lot of times other parents don't think about. They don't think about the, like, you know, I know the parents of this kid who my child goes to the house across the street and, um, you know, we're good friends with the parents and then something happens and it's not the parents, it's, it's another child. So um, just paying attention to that too because that could be a thing. It could be something that happens. And um, also that there, there could be females. Females abuse as well, and in so many ways. Did you say that last thing again? Um, females. Oh. I just said females can abuse as well, and there's just so female. many um, female people. Oh. Yeah, female people can abuse as well. <laughs> yeah, they can abuse. Mm-hmm. Not just oh, male. Yeah. Not just male people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Right. You're right. Yeah, that's what we were. That's what um, yeah. I think we think of a lot of a lot of times we think of a man, but I mean, and me as a woman thinks of um, a man, you know, a attacker or whatever. But um, I think my mom probably fell under the more of the category of neglect. Yeah. Anyone else have anything? Was my abuser was male, and later I had um, sexual experiences with older women. <laughs> I like that better, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it would have been like if I was, you know, 14 and it happened, but um, I suspect I would have felt better about it too because it was so confusing that, you know, men were attracted to me. Why? I didn't feel attracted to them ever. But they kept picking on picking on me, you know. <laughs> um, how come? Um, but I never I never felt, uh, you know, gay or attracted to men or anything like that. So it was very confusing. Very. But you're right. Yeah. Um, I did have, I did have a couple of ladies in my, really in my early twenties, probably, who were in their thirties. Uh, or even further, 40s maybe, one was in their 40s, um, who I was having sex with, not just once, but several, many times, each one. And I think you could make the argument that they were they were being abusive because they were, I believe one was 13 years older than me and one was 20 years older than me, you know? <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, I was not a a child, so I never have brought that. They're not part of my story. Mm -hmm. But you can still be taken advantage of. 
as an adult right. because oh, yeah. I think that your expectations of people are kind of low anyway. I mean, oh, and, I um, definitely was being taken advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and many times we think that men, because he's a boy, it's okay, and that's a female. That's still, you know, um, if the person's a minor and the person is taking the person is taking advantage as well. They should be held just as guilty as if it was a man and, and a woman. Yeah, I don't think that uh, is fair. Right. Even though, of course, you said you enjoyed it more, obviously, than the opposite one, but. Um, and I wasn't scared of it yeah. much, you know. It was, it was. Um, I could see it as possibly acceptable, you know. Um, so it didn't bother me. Bob is back, by the way, ladies. So I just typed in his name there. Okay. Did I open the, his mic? Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Let me open his mic. All right, Bob. Your mic is open. Feel free. Yeah. Sorry about that. We just had a power cut, so. Um, <laughs> It happens a lot. It happens a lot in the tropics. Yeah, yeah, well, you yeah. My, all my the good uh, stuff, you know. Ah, uh, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> I believe. I believe in synchronicity, but I probably messed up. <laughs> Might have triggered me. Uh, my my mum was my primary abuser. Um, just because she was, you know, so violent. Um, um and it's funny. Um. Uh, how can I put this? It's been my obs- observation of uh, working with different sorts of support groups that, like me being abused by my mum, would set up a predilection for me to, in my adult relationships, to seek out other men as partners rather than women because, you know, um, my home territory was... Um, this woman's beating me, so and there's no way I'm going to get into a relationship with another woman because all they do is beat you. Um, and the converse applies that uh, a young girl that is uh, abused by a male has a predilection in adulthood to enter into uh, a lesbian relationship because um, it's like they're choosing their sexuality from a place of fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so... I found a strong correlation yeah. in the I've been working with that where that is the case. And when the when the people, especially on one-on-one uh, counselling, um, open up to that realisation that, yeah, I'm only in this relationship with this other girl because, I, you know, I hated my dad because he was always beating me. And the, the look of liberation on their faces and joy once they come to that realisation. And now I'm free to choose who I want to be in a relationship with, you know, from from fear, and not from fear, but from love. And um, that transition is such a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. Okay. I'll shut up now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. That was good. Yeah, do you, have to, do you want to say, Dr. Nancy? No, I was just saying that that was good. Um, you know, many of us have been abused by a lot of different people. And um, 
And I, I'm just I'm just honored to be a part of this platform and to be able to create that space where people can get educated and and have the support. Because these are conversations that a lot of people don't feel comfortable having. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of stigma associated with it. And, um, you know, and people don't feel comfortable sharing. So I'm actually just appreciating everybody's voice tonight. It's really, really good to hear. We should remind people this is a discussion yeah. show, and anybody that's listening can call in and uh, and participate. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we're looking for. Definitely. So, definitely. So six four six five nine five two one one eight six four six five nine five two one one eight. That's the number to call in, and you pop on, we'll be delighted to take your call. Yeah. We um, have somebody on earlier. Did somebody bring her that person on, or did they bring themselves on? Did you see oh, that? They brought themselves on. It was, it was somebody I had been talking to who didn't, who wasn't oh, okay. here long enough to really get into it, but uh, yeah. I just had to do something else. <laughs> okay. But um, let's see. I I was also looking at. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, sure. Yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say that um you know, earlier I was looking at some of the statistics for how many people are incarcerated um and have been through traumatic experiences. And they oh, said man. it's about they said it's about ninety seven percent of people in prison. Ninety-seven percent of, of right. people in prison have experienced severe trauma, and then um, they also had the numbers for the ones that were sexually abused. I, I don't have that page up at this particular moment, but um, I mean, this is just a reminder that you know a lot of people who have been affected by abuse or some form of severe trauma or just trauma. I mean, trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. Um, end up, sometimes can end up in behind behind bars. The numbers are let me so say, high. Yes, well, let please. me say that the numbers for sexual abuse are not that far off from, you know, the full spectrum of abuse. And, you know, when a, when a man, I'll talk about men, when a man has sex abuse in his background, he doesn't want other men to know. He's terrified to let other men know. He doesn't want to be judged in that way. And, in fact, that's where some of the fighting comes out because, you know, if I feel like I have to defend myself and who I am, I'm putting up my dukes, you know, dukes. <laughs> I'm going to fight. And, um, you know, prisons are an excellent place to have a, a, a literally captured group of people who are really angry. Because 97% of them have been abused and almost that same amount have been sexually abused <laughs> by men, by the way, not by, you know, not, not, not by women. Yeah. And anyway, it's, it's a, it's a so um, really uh, insulting thing, that's, you know, for a guy to bring up. Uh, and the only thing that's worse is if they themselves are abusers. <laughs> you know, that, that is horrible for a person to go to prison for. Uh, the the population in prison already um, does not 
uh, welcome uh, assault, uh, sexual assault, uh, not victims, um, doers. <laughs> I've heard People that. Who do sexual yeah. assault. Wow. Oh yeah, I hate wow. them. and it's not—it's not even safe to put them in with the same group. In a lot of cases, they have separate like wings of prisons or different facilities and so forth, and they have to because it's just too volatile in there. And, you know, mm. and, and there's such a um, hatred of people that take advantage of kids. I don't think it's the same mm. with rapists. I don't think it is, but it is with kids, you know. Oh, there's a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it, Tim, it, you're gonna say something? Oh, okay. it just, for me, it all just boils down to hurt people, hurt people. And hurt people don't benefit from being incarcerated. They need healing. Okay, you know, keep them away from um, the full society, but they need to go into healing programs, not be incarcerated with other hurt people. Because it, it, they're just going to keep the ball rolling, aren't they? Wow, that was pretty deep. Yeah, that was well, deep. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I think um, that the consensus would be that hurt people in this sense need to be punished, too. Yeah, sure, they may be treated. They should be punished and maybe treated in jail and in prison. But that they are not going to get out, uh, get away from it just because they're, quote, sick, unquote, you know? Uh <laughs> That's not going to fly. So we're we're going to see these people incarcerated always. How long? That's a question. And whether they get any treatment at all is a question. And there's you know there's a lot of programs um, in uh, you know in prisons and in in uh, reform that have no uh, no no uh, programs to heal at all for the prisoners. None. Yeah, to be honest. I think I think if they if they were gonna treat people, they might have some success. But um you know, when you're not treating people you're not gonna have any success. But they're not gonna let people get the prison part because it, they ought to be punished is is the feeling. Right. And you said something that was really important. You said that they need to be put in prison and treated, not just put right. in prison without the treatment. And what we yeah. hope and what we're hoping to do with this show is to treat, to help them before they even get to the prison, before sure. they even do these things that can, could cause them to end up in prison. We are, we're reaching out and we're sharing hope to let you know that it is okay to get help, to get support, and you are not alone. Get the help that you need before you even get to that point where you blow up and you hurt somebody and you react. You blow up your emotions. You know, you you make a bad choice that can leave you in prison, and then now you're having to unmask and heal in prison. Do the work before that even gets to that point. You deserve it. You deserve to heal. You deserve to live, and you deserve to live free. Well, and I tell you what, um, Nancy, I'm, I wish I was more optimistic about it, but there isn't a great 
uh, opportunity for people to heal when they're you know, on the right. outside, just to, just to heal. It doesn't happen. Once you get, you know, uh, the appetite, I always call it the appetite for sex with kids, it doesn't go away. Uh, and there's all kinds yeah. of programs they've tried and they still continue to try that they hope will get a person uh, beyond, you know, over the hump, but beyond their desire and into whatever normalcy is, doesn't work. Not found anything. Nothing that's been significant anyway. There's been an occasional healing there and here and there, but nothing that's been. I mean, and this includes chemical treatments. This includes surgical treatments. This includes, you know, talk therapy treatments. This includes, you know, electro, electrolysis. What's it called? Electric shock. Um, all kinds of stuff. None of it works. Not None of it. They're going to keep trying, of course, because, uh, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if one day they came up with something that, you know, actually did work? Um, we all agree with that, but not looking likely. Yeah. Yeah, I was also reading on here that um, on something that says that less than one in five cases reported cases of child sexual abuse and assault went forward to be prosecuted. Oh, yeah. And about half of these cases resulted in a conviction or a guilty plea. So, I mean, even people that tell, a lot of times they'll take it back or they'll say, no, I don't want to prosecute. And and there's a lot of different reasons for that, too. But we know that all the statistic numbers aren't necessarily... 100% 100% because they just can't be because not everybody reports. And so um, we can use those numbers, but we also know that it's a lot higher probably than that. Anyone else? Well, it's, well, yeah, I'll say this. I'll say this. You know, if you're talking about uh-huh. criminal cases, it's hard. It's hard to bring a criminal case. In our country, it's it's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, right? And that's pretty high standard. So they don't have to be guilty. They just have to have reasonable doubt. Beyond, yeah. beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Um, so that's that's what the that's what the jurors have to have to believe has been shown. And you can't just say it. You have to you have to prove it. You know, it has to be evidence based. Um, the other kind of that's criminal, right? The other kind of Trial being civil, the standard is much lower. It's in the preponderance of the evidence, which means there's more likelihood by showing of the evidence that it did happen or that it didn't happen than the other way around. It's a preponderance of the evidence. That's easier to prove, but uh, or to, to yeah to, to prove. Um, but still, there's you know there's all kinds of things that happen. There's plea bargaining that goes on and. <laughs> There's things that get dropped and, you know, combined together. And it's just, it, it's just, it's kind of sad when you think of it that way. But please, I want people out there to, to, to know they should file complaints. In other words, make police reports. And, and, it, and if they do, at, very, at the very least, they, be, they become a part of the real statistics of child abuse. And you know how often we talk about as best, you know, as far as we know, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, when you put it in a report, then it's a real thing. 
if you don't put in a report, it didn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It's a, that's, that's, how, that's how law enforcement counts yeah. things, you know. So you have to report it for it to be, you know, notched, for it to be uh, counted. And if you don't, nobody will ever hear about it, at least not in court legally. So mm-hmm. this is why we say, you know, one in one in five and one in four and one in five or whatever, as best we know, because we don't know. You know, there's a I, I bet you, I'm just going to say I'll bet you there's more child abuse um, situations in history than has ever happened. It's like twice as much, I think. There's a few, I won't say twice as much. I don't know if it's twice, but I know it's huge. I've heard of so many people who have never reported it, never reported it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. That's, that's another thing that blocks us, even if we have – the statistics, and we tell them to people, they don't, they don't believe them. They don't hear them. It's so the numbers are so big, they go, oh yeah, really, <laughs> you know? Yeah, hard to believe. Hard to believe. Okay. Hard for us to believe, you know. And we went through it. Yeah. Right. Right, and then you got listening. Well, they don't even know, I was just going to say, they don't really know that they've been mm-hmm. abused, and that's why they don't tell us, because that's what they've lived in for so wow. long, and the, the whole generational thing is that always so, they don't realize that they're being abused. Yeah. Well, that was good, Kim. You're right. Some people don't even realize it's abused. They've become just, uh, it's just become normalized. And so some people don't even realize the level, the type, or that it's even considered abuse. And that's why even Bill, when he said earlier, um, he said that it's so important that, you know, we teach them early what abuse is. Yeah. It's so true. I think a lot of people live through their childhood without knowing what's going on or or you know, learning what it is sort of late in their childhood. But by then it's too late. You know, these things get brought up in adulthood, not in childhood for the most part. We hold on to the story as long as we possibly can, frankly, (laughs) until we explode with it somehow or or implode with it because it can go either direction. It can go out or it can go in. Uh, But... You know, it, it's it's done in, in adulthood more than it's done in childhood. And we have so many adults who, you know, have these hidden stories. And we want them to feel comfortable coming to NASCA and knowing that we'll support them and we'll, you know, help them identify with some of us who have had similar situations. And, and we'll talk about the different kind, many different kinds of uh, healing journeys, therapies and so forth that there are that they can that can be involved in and explain them all, you know, and so forth. So this is what we want. We want people to feel like even if they've been skipped for all these years, <laughs> if they're 45 years old, if they're 55 years old, if they're 65 years old and they've never told the story before and they've never healed, be afraid to come in. We understand that. We totally understand that. I want to thank you, ladies, for having the show tonight. A few minutes off from ending, but 
It was a good show, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I thought it was great. This covered the mission statement very well. Yeah. Great stuff. Teamwork makes the dream work, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, like like Bill was saying, you're all welcome. Whoever listening later on or tonight live, you're welcome to come on. We'd love to have you anytime and be a part of our panel. And Miss Philip, I haven't seen Philip or heard Philip the last few times, so hopefully. We'd love to have him come back. Hopefully, at some point, he'll come back. <laughs> Too. I know he he gets on a lot of them. But and Bob, what do you have? What are your final words before we head out tonight, <laughs> or this morning uh, in your world? <laughs> it's it's eleven twenty-five here, um, and this is an old chestnut. But for me, it, it's it's kind of true, you know, like. Um, for me, there's only one judge in the universe, and that's God, that's creation. Um, for me, we're all sovereign, unique, and equal, and who, therefore, who am I to judge anybody else? Everybody's on their their own journey. Everybody's challenge, I believe, is to find out what works for them, and because people are unique, you know, their journey is unique, and that's what for me, because we are all unique, there is no argument. There is only difference. And so, you know, if people are just going to take full responsibility for the, their own lives and realize that I do, that I am responsible for this life that I do create, you know. The big question um, that I ask people to answer is, if you're not creating your life, who is? I'll leave that one floating. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's right, because somebody else will do it for you. I mean, they just will inevitably because you're not doing it, and you're going to fall into, I think that several of us have talked about, um, just being kind of led. I mean, you know, just do whatever that, that other person wants to do. It's kind of easier, and we don't have to think about it. So being able to decide where we want to go in our path in life I think is, is huge, too. And sometimes well, it may take you to 55 to get there, but keep trying. Well, for me, there's only one law, God's law, uh, and that is do no harm. And I've only got one right, and that is the right of self-determination. And that's that's why my life is so simple. You know, I've got one law and one right. <laughs> Doesn't get much easier, does it? <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> Helps with the decisions, huh? <laughs> How about I had something earlier that I wanted to say, but, you know, I forgot, and I should have wrote it down. <laughs> we just <laughs> talked about that. So that's why I was sitting here like, wow, what was I going to say? I was sitting here trying to remember. Um, <laughs> I again, I just want to say, um, 
Oh, I know what I, one of the things I wanted to say. Wait a minute. Okay. So, you know, I was just looking at the show, and I was looking at the number 3203 scan number, and I realized that is how many shows have been done by NASCAR. That is huge. Every day, every time that this number goes up, this is like, Bill, I just want to say thank you for creating this platform. Thank you for walking in your calling and your purpose and being obedient to it and sensitive to it and and, and just allowing us to come together in this way. That number, like, it just actually struck me today. I just wanted to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for saying so. Yeah. You all for love you, Bill. Thank you, Kim, for your time. We love you, Bill. Yeah. And thank you, Miss Kim, for your time too. You know, and um, and thank Nancy. I'm gonna yeah. thank myself. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, you too. No. And Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. We're glad you're here too, And we're Bob. showing up. <laughs> yeah, and thank yeah. you, Bob, for showing up. All of us. You know, Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> thanks, Bob. Yeah. You, you add value. You add value. We all do. Not, yeah. Not that's all I have right. to say. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. That's right. I just had gratitude in my heart, and I just wanted to share that. That's all. Good enough. Yeah, thank you. Good night, everybody. Have a good evening. Good night, ladies. Good night, Bob. Good night. I guess I don't need to get the music. It's already over, right? <laughs> we're we're done. I don't need to even put on the music. <laughs> oh, so you better get that music. <laughs> <laughs> good night. Okay. Good night. Bye.